Welcome to episode 17 of You Are Not A Frog, the self-help book club, first edition. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boiled alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while may have heard Nick Kendrew on episode one, When Doctors Get Ill. He provided a really frank and candid sort of exploration of what happened when he got ill, how he felt and how he coped. So I thought I'd get him back on the podcast because me and him sort of share a love of what we call self-help books or what our partners call self-help books. We really love them. And we thought it'd be really useful to share some of the books that we've been reading, chat about them and talk about why they've helped us. So this is the first edition of the Self-Help Book Club. I hope there are going to be many more. If you guys have any suggestions for books that we could talk about or books that we should read, then please get in touch with us or you can send us a direct message on Twitter or email us and all the links are in the show notes below. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So it's really brilliant to have back with me on the podcast today, Nick Kendrew. Nick, do you want to just introduce yourself for those of you who don't know you? Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, It's lovely to be here. Um, I'm Nick Kendrew. I'm a GP down in Kent and I work eight sessions a week in general practice. And in my spare time, uh, I work for Red Whale. Um, I'm a GP update presenter and I also work with them on a lot lot of their digital content. And we do live webinars. Uh, We've just done one with Versus Arthritis and we're doing our deep dives courses at the moment where we're looking into sort of topics at a deeper level but with a fun spin to it and they're going really well and it's really exciting and fun to do so 
that's what's keeping me sane at the moment. <laughs> so you may recognise Nick from sort of various Facebook lives and webinars and all those sorts of things. So Nick yeah. has been on one of our really, really popular podcasts. In fact, he was on the first oh, one ever. I was. It was, and, and actually, had, which had a really great response and great feedback. And, and we came up for the idea for this podcast, I think, sitting on a train. Was that right? Mm-hmm. You do. <laughs> you do. Coming back from Reading, where we'd both been yeah. doing some stuff with Red Whale. And, you know, both of us, I guess we would describe ourselves... Well, I wouldn't describe myself as a self-help junkie. My husband would describe me as a self-help junkie. But I don't like to call these books self-help books. I don't know. What do you think? I think, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always called them self-help books because... That's what other people have called, called them when they say, oh, what are you reading? Oh, another self <laughs> I'm not sure what it says about me, but I remember a few years ago, I was talking to one of my friends and they were saying that I could build a, quite a big bonfire with all the self-help books that I bought and it would go on for quite a long time. <laughs> and I'm not sure it would help go global warming very much. So that's the kind of level that I have um, come to it from. But it's almost like, I mean, I am a kind of a, a salesperson's dream um, in that... If I listen to somebody talking about their new book, or I'd be like, oh, I need to get that, that's going to be brilliant. And there's so many books that I've listened to, you know, people chatting on the radio and stuff like that, and ended up buying them. I have to say, I've not read all of them. <laughs> I have got a shelf of books to read. You know, a lot of them make me feel so much better um, about things. And even if it's a, a chapter or two, if you can then apply it to where you're up to, and it might be that it's that chapter that's relevant to you at that point in time. And so maybe that's why I've got so many different books, because <laughs> life changes so rapidly. Yeah. Um, it's a bespoke um, self-help shelf, shall we call it? How about that? <laughs> bespoke self-help shelf. I mean, I'm exactly the same. I'm dreadful when I listen to podcasts, for example, um, Rangan Chatterjee's podcast. I think it's called yes. Live Well, Feel Better. He always has these experts on who are really, really interesting. And almost every mm. time I listen to that, I end up buying the book of the person. The person exactly. who's on. So slightly well, I believe them as well because they also, you know, they yeah. all, and quite rightly so, they all say this is a really good bit because they put all their life and soul in and they're really passionate about it. And that comes across. And I, I'm very much, I buy into that and I believe it all. And that's why my, I have even got things in my Amazon um, save for later bit in my basket ready to buy in the future when they're released. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's yeah, that's so when you know you've up. got a serious and habit. Maybe I need to hold up. Maybe there's a self help book. And it's terrible, isn't it? Maybe I need a self-help book for people that read too many self-help books. Perhaps that's the thing. Probably. <laughs> I write that. How about that? You should write it, Nick. But I think yes. that actually they've, they've got a bad rap and they're not really self-help yes. books. When I look at the stuff that's on my bookshelf, you know, things like The Five Choices by the, the Covey Foundation, there's Ariana Huffington Thrive. I'm literally just reading out some. I'm looking behind me now. Mindsight mm. by Daniel Siegel. There's a really good book called Stress Proof by someone who was on the podcast with Rangan Chatterjee. Um, but there's also things like Malcolm Gladwell and Daniel Pink and a lot of these sort of business books. And I'm sure mm. businessmen wouldn't like to call them self-help books. They're just sort of productivity yeah. and and how to live well books and I always think as well you get an awful lot of value out of a book like you said people put, tend to put their life's work into a book Definitely. and it's much much cheaper than say buying a a very expensive online course to learn it actually just, well, just read the book and often with certain books particularly when I'm thinking about my patients a lot of the books that I recommend to them would actually be cheaper or a similar price to a prescription and that's how I kind of pitch it to them and they kind of go oh okay and of course it's going to last a lot longer yeah. than the, the medication that they buy and yes obviously there's a place of medication to the right kind of patient but there's so much that we can do um, to help with lifestyle and changes that they can make in their lifestyle to make their lives better um, and hopefully by having read some of these books we just have a little bit of an insight into ones which are maybe more helpful to recommend and more 
accessible. Because perhaps if you're going through a stressful time, the last thing you need is a book that is literally, you know, really small print, really thick, mm. feels like it's an absolute marathon to get through. And sometimes you need books which have a slightly different format, which are more accessible, and they're not going to make you feel more frazzled read them. Yeah. Yeah, a great example of, of books I recommend to patients is that Mark Williams book, Find, Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Yes. And, you know, that has just been absolutely brilliant and it's got so much in it it's really really helpful for me too and and, and I think all doctors should read that as well so you know absolutely and that's also got an audio it comes with Mm. D do we still have CDs Um, (laughs) and I think (laughs) they also I'm guessing there's a a downloadable version you can get it free on you can get those meditations free on audible so you can fantastic well I can't recommend them highly enough Mm. because I often when I pitch it to a patient I'll say that's the book if you're up to reading the background and the more verbose part of it but if the very least you can do is to listen to some mindfulness and particularly I think it's track three not that I listen to it (laughs) Um, the the, the body scan the top of my Um, head track three (laughs) exactly Somebody check that, but I'm sure it is. And it's the body scan, which is amazing. And it always makes me feel so much better. And it doesn't take too long to do it. And one of the other tracks, maybe track eight, maybe <laughs> track seven, is mindful movement. And that's something I've kind of done a bit more recently. And I found that helpful too. And I have to say mindfulness, I found really useful myself. I've had a, a few sort of health issues in the past. And we talked about one of them last time. And more recently, without going into too much detail, more recently I've had some more, some kind of heart issues. And whereas in the past, I used to be able to train and run half marathons. I've now had to kind of reframe what I can do regarding that. I'd love to try and run a half marathon in the future. I think it's quite a long way off, but it's something I'd have to build up to. It's certainly not nothing I can do at the moment. But what I found amazing is mindful running. Suddenly wow. it takes it's yeah, and, and it's thing. on it is a thing. And there's actually books being written about it. Um there's a few apps on it as well. Um some of the more popular sort of mindfulness apps um are we allowed to name names yeah go on well yeah. we're not getting any it's not income BBC, it, from it, it. no no <laughs> you know we're, we're not sponsoring anything we yeah. talk about this we're genuinely recommending because we've yeah, found it helpful absolutely. and so, so you know what i do and um, the headspace app yeah um, that's fantastic is, it is brilliant and i use that probably in fact that in many ways that's probably replaced a lot of the self-help books so maybe it saved me money because um, I do subscribe uh, to it, yeah. but maybe it saved me money by not buying so many books now. It has mindful activities, so you can do mindful running, you can wow. do mindful walks even if you're not even up to running. And also, Andy Puddicombe, who does the, who's you know in charge space, he's Mr Headspace, he's actually done some mindfulness running sort of scenarios where you can do a mindful run with the Nike running app, which is free. Uh. Um, so you, you don't necessarily have to subscribe to Headspace, but I do it all the time, and it taking the pressure off the goal-orientated me that used to do you know have to do running at a certain time trying to get quicker and quicker and quicker when mm. suddenly you can't do that anymore it's actually really lovely it's more like what can you do and mm. about sort of having a more functional approach to what you can achieve and that's been really helpful yeah it's interesting we, we were going to call this the self-help book club but I think we probably need to call it the self-help book and app club actually yes I think that's yes definitely that's a good idea <laughs> there's head, lots of them around yeah there are and headspace is, is one I do particularly like and there are lots of free mindfulness apps but I have recently subscribed to headspace it is just brilliant just mm. if you can set 10 minutes aside every morning I've been going through the reducing stress one <laughs> interestingly yeah, and I think I've done that yes the exercise where you sort of have to imagine yourself being filled with liquid sunshine 
Exactly. Absolutely. At the beginning of that, I was thinking about Sunny Delight from the 90s. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> I had to take that out of my head. Because yeah. um, didn't that turn people orange? Um, so <laughs> really disgusting. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, that's, yeah, so take that out of your head. But, yeah, it's lovely. It's a lovely thought and feeling of all that sun, sunshine filling your body and making you feel better and relaxing all the different parts yeah. of your body. And I find that really helpful. And it's really good as well because that part of the, the course that you're doing, there are many sort of micro-mindfulness things which are about three minutes. Oh. And I think that one is called Refresh. Okay. And so I often do that literally just before I start afternoon surgery. Even if I'm literally bang on time, I will spare three minutes to do that. Wow. And I feel so much better. And certainly the first couple of patients really benefit from that <laughs> because I'm in a much better place yeah. and I'm much kind of more open and calmer and feel much more like me. And I like to think, though I've not managed to do it yet, that if I was having a really frazzled morning, I'd actually say, actually, let's pause things now. I'm just going to, you know, do it for three mm -hmm. minutes. Um, and sometimes people have knocked on my door and gone, oh, I've just come back because I thought that was somebody in your room, but it was actually just me listening to <laughs> the three minutes of mindfulness. Because, you know, Andy Puddickson's got quite a, a deep, booming voice. And, and so they thought somebody's in the room. Maybe there's something in that. Maybe play it all the time and people won't just yes. you. <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned this several times before. Catherine Hickman, who was on the episode about tiny habits and making tiny mm -hmm. changes, she does something called a squeegee yeah. breath in between patients, with the, which is some sort of ritual routine which helps us to sort of get rid of all the baggage from the last person and just sort mm -hmm. of calm herself before the next person. And I think that's really, really helpful. You know, all of these practices, and they are practices because I've really struggled doing mindfulness because my head mm. is just everywhere. My The minute I sit down, it just I start thinking about what I'm doing with the business and what I'm going to do next and all these sort of things. It mm. just shows how mentally cluttered you are, actually, when you start doing this. And I'm, I'm getting getting better. I know it's not a competition about who, <laughs> and no. I know it's not about getting brilliant at it, but just actually starting to be able to notice your thoughts and your internal emotions and I think they call it the sort of the weather pattern of your emotions has been Absolutely. so helpful. It's hugely liberating and I find that the animations that are on Headspace as well are really useful because there's a brilliant one where they're looking at you, you basically you're stood by the side of a motorway and all these busy cars are going past and you're thinking that these are your thoughts and if you're not sort of used to mindfulness you kind of think oh panic and chase after it and it's like mm -hmm. on this motorway and it's all frantic whereas if you take a step back and you just go oh that's panic going past there there's anxiety and you're just noting it gone it's wonderful and the other one that I find really useful is the visualization about even if you're having a rubbish day and you know the clouds are in the sky it's all very gray if you just visualize yourself almost like in a, a drone going up through the clouds and then you get to this wonderful blue sky and I had this very powerful visualization which has just developed as I've done the mindfulness where I'm kind of standing at the very top of a bit like the, the Grand Canyon, it feels like. So it's a kind of very, you know, very red mountains and all that kind of stuff. And I'm looking down and it's blue sky all around me. And it's almost like looking into this well of clouds. And as they float past, those are your thoughts. And um, that kind of works for me. And it just feels really lovely to have sometimes the time to do that. It sounds like I do it all the time. I wish I did. But, it, um, you know, when I do that, I find it really helpful. Yeah. I think the nice thing about the Headspace app is that it is just there on your phone. You don't need to sort of work out how to do it. You just literally start yes. the app and press play. And they, yeah. you're off and doing it. So it's just really low hassle because sometimes... I guess for busy doctors, just mindfulness seems like another thing you ought to be doing. Yeah, and it's not going to be right for everyone. No. Um, it, you know, but it, I think the only thing that I find slightly 
conflicted in is when we're telling all our patients to get off their devices, get off their phones, <laughs> and then we're recommending apps that are on their phones. But before I do that, I'll kind of go through with them about making sure they, they turn the, the night mode on. If it's a, an mm. iPhone, I'm sure it must be on Android phones too. And I actually set it in this kind of weather, in this time of year when it's when we've got the, the darker evenings, I'll set it to come on about six o'clock. And so basically, I don't want the blue light to overstimulate me in the mm. evenings. And I recommend that for my patients too. And what else do I do? Yeah, obviously, the talk to them about the, the screen time because I get notifications about how much time they're spending on their screen. Trying to not look at your screen an hour before bedtime and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. about kind of screen discipline, I suppose, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that is... A problem, isn't it? It's a real paradox. That one of the main things that people tend to take away when I do my well-being sessions with people is, you know, to actually charge your phone downstairs and get an alarm clock, because yes. it's not just the blue light that causes us lack of sleep, because of course it interferes with your melatonin, your natural sort of sleep mm. cycle. But it's the fact that, well, when I go and set my alarm, I then go, all oh, right, okay, oh, while I'm here, let's just check what I'm doing tomorrow. And have I sent exactly. that text? And oh, let me just yeah. check my emails. And I've done another half an hour work and I'm thinking about it. So yeah. there is that danger with the phones that whenever we pick them up to do anything, it just sucks us back into work. So can you use heads? You can't use headspace on airplane mode, can you? Because it has to connect to the internet. Well, there's certain ones that you can download, okay, um, and so they they're on your phone. The ones that you can't, as far as I'm aware, there are kind of um, much longer sleep ones. Okay. As you're going off to sleep, they last about 45 minutes or so. And I have put it on aeroplane mode, and then realised that it kind of stopped after about maybe I don't know arbitrary speaking about 15 minutes or so. But hopefully you might be asleep by then anyway. The, the much longer ones you can't download, but there are many, many of them that you can, and okay. so therefore it can be on airplane mode. Yeah. And so that's why, by and large, if I'm putting it on as I go to sleep, a number of the sleep ones you can download. And so okay. they're there for you. Yeah. So, that's good. so it's, get, it's getting away from just using our phones all the time. However, yeah. <laughs> our mm-hmm. phones are really, really good tools. Uh, again, Catherine yes. Hickman said she's got this app on her phone. It's called the Forest app, which grows a tree if you don't look at your phone. <laughs> Wow. on the screen so it's sort of gamifying not looking at your phone in a, in a way well then you'd be thinking oh i wonder how that tree's getting on and, and then you'd be checking your tree <laughs> <laughs> no i've just murdered the tree about self, <laughs> self-control nick Bit of self-control. yes exactly um, but yeah that sounds like a good thing because it's all about training people not to look at their phones quite so much because it's amazing how we've changed so much in just over a decade I mean, I remember when smartphones first came out, and, and you know, I remember when phones first had um, cameras on them. I was oh, going, yeah. oh, for goodness sake, I don't, I don't want a camera on my phone. I just want to be able to make phone calls. Yeah. What kind of a dinosaur do I sound like now? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I, now, yeah, I, I when I went to university, we didn't even have phones. No, so it, pages. That's pages. Did you ever have pages? Not as, in the, not as a student, no. <laughs> I had a landline. You, you, my, my friends who were from more affluent backgrounds had mobile phones that their parents bought them and then there, there was always the row when the bill came through because they'd been phoning all sorts of people all over the world. Um, so I got a, like a, it was a one-to-one, which was the precursor to whatever EE mm. now. And it was a pager that you had. And so you could dial a number and leave it like a, it was a numerical message. And so if my parents put in their, their phone number, so if it was my parents' phone, I won't say it now because of people's phone. Um, <laughs> and then I'd know it was my mum and dad and I'd have to phone them uh, because they wanted to speak to me. Yeah. And, and I remember that 1402 meant I love you. Oh, oh that's really sweet. Because <laughs> it was obviously Valentine's Day. I was, was so, going to yes. say, why was that number? Wow, yes. Nick, things I didn't know about you. You carried a pager around at university. <laughs> 
I think it was hidden. I think in those days it was a bit cool. Before, yeah, oh, I don't know. Maybe it was really embarrassing. I think a few people had them. Um, <laughs> I wasn't an early adopter. I, it was quite small and discreet somewhere. I'm digging a hole now, aren't I? Yeah. Let's so move on. I hadn't reached Nottingham when I was there. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So we were going to form this sort of self-help book club, which we thought people might be interested yes. in, with all these different mm-hmm. books that we've been reading. And you were yeah. telling me about a book that you've been reading recently that's really sort of helped you. Which book is that? Yeah. Well, now, it's really interesting because it's kind of what I was saying earlier, that sometimes um, when you're so frazzled that reading a really verbose book is not the answer. And so in my hand, I have The Little Book of Resilience, which is written and illustrated by Matthew Johnston. Now, he is based in Australia. um, And he's also, he is the director, the creative director of the Black Dog Institute. And he is an author, an illustrator and a photographer. And so he kind of very much advocates the fact that a picture paints a thousand words and so when you are struggling the last thing you want to do is to read all these words and so he has written quite a few words but nowhere near as many as you'd find in a a normal life-changing book shall we call it (laughs) and so it's lots of it is his illustrations which are just beautiful in themselves but hugely meaningful and he's written a lot of other books as well so the book I'm going to talk about is about resilience, how to bounce back from adversity and lead a a fulfilling life. But he's also written other books, probably most famously, I Had a Black Dog, which is his book about depression, which I recommend to many patients. And maybe we'll talk about that another time. But again, it's one of those books that where the, the actual illustrations are so powerful and so amazing. And his resilience book is in two halves. And part one is all about explaining about what kind of goes wrong in life, if that makes sense. And it's kind of helps you to appreciate why we should be kind of moving forward and it's not just about having positive affirmations because sometimes they're not particularly helpful and it's about how it's a brilliant at the beginning of it it's a little picture of a, of a person going out to fight the day and it's they're dressed up as a, an old-fashioned kind of knight of the realm so they've got their, their armor on they've got their sword they've got their shield and they're just leaving an ordinary house and so you think that you're equipped for the day and then you turn the page and then it says, but life doesn't always go to plan or play fair. And the next picture is this terrified looking knight of the realm. And there's this huge dragon, bigger than a, a <laughs> multi-storey building, yeah. about to eat him. And it just shows that, you know, sometimes you can be as prepared as you think yeah. and life will throw you a curveball. And it's kind of all about that. It's not a very thick book. Um, it's, let me see how many pages it is. It's, oh, it hasn't got page numbers. I mean, I can reread it in about an hour, maybe an hour mm. and a half max. And the first section, so section one, there's one particular picture that I was reading and it really struck a nerve with me. And it's basically talking about how we have our show face. And the, the picture is this very crestfallen looking chap who's clearly struggling. And a box has been delivered from that's somewhere like Amazon, I suppose. And it says, your very own show face for all those difficult situations. And it says, with 20 mood-defying phrases. And it's this, basically, it's a mask and it's a smiling mm-hmm. face. Whew, it gets me quite emotional talking about it because it really strikes a nerve. And it, in many ways, at times, it feels like this is me. And the phrases that are on this, pa- this page, you know, everything's fine. I'm great. I'm good as gold. I'm fabulous. I'm top-notch. Never been better. And, you know, sometimes, particularly when things are really busy with work, it can be really tough to, particularly in front of patients, you can't just be yourself and say, mm. I'm having a tough time. You have to kind of say, you know, it's, it's about them, it's not about mm. you. But sometimes, particularly in general practice, because we see patients day in, day out, and they, they see changes in you. And and yesterday I had this patient that came in, and I've known her for quite a long time. Um, she's quite elderly. She comes in with her daughter, and she was saying to me, 
are you okay? And I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm fine. And she kind of, you know when somebody knows you a bit better and mm-hmm. they just dig a little bit more and she kept on saying, are you sure you're okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the thing is that if she kept digging a bit deeper, then it might have ended up with a slightly more different outcome. Yeah. Um, you know, because when things are really tough and really busy, you do try and keep it all going. But if they press the button, then you, yeah. So it is about that showcase. And that, that for me, and I was rereading it just recently before we were chatting, and that really did strike a nerve for me. And, and I suppose it just shows how powerful these kind of books, because it puts you in touch with those emotions. I get it. You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a slash quiz and then it it's really quite cathartic because it's really important to appreciate that that is how you are feeling mm-hmm. um, and then to be able to then process it and then to move forward with it yeah. um, is also really good about this book is that part two kind of gives you some ways to help you to build resilience and to go through it and there's one section there's another really powerful picture which is in many ways kind of keys into the whole thing about plastic waste in our oceans at the moment which is a a huge problem and a huge thing that everybody's talking about and it's a picture it's a drawing it's a couple who are on a little rowing boat on a what looks like a, a lake um but it's a very deep lake with a little duck behind them um and it says no swimming and underneath them so they can't see this but in the water in the very deep lake there is kind of basically you could say it was like a, a strand of plastic it's like a scribble but it's like this, this strand of plastic and they basically the whole of the water underneath them is just clogged up with this call it toxic waste and all they can see is literally a little strand just above the water mm-hmm. to them it's nothing and the woman in the in the picture is pointing at it going, what's that? And the man is got sat behind her is going, it's nothing. And he's got his head in his hands and isn't really looking properly. And it basically talks about how once we can avoid this toxic stuff, we try and avoid it and it just builds up in our own personal mm-hmm. lake and it gets higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And then it almost becomes a, a quadmire. It flows and we don't know what to do with it then. Mm-hmm. And again, I found that a really powerful kind of image. So yeah, all of those things are really, really powerful. Yeah. That's really interesting because that's exactly what Agnes Otzelberger was saying when we talked in a previous episode of the podcast about compassion fatigue, in Mm. that most of us deal with the suffering that we see on a daily basis by just quashing our emotions, by just sort of pushing them down and getting on. Because I guess you sort of have to. It's, I guess, a survival Mm. technique because if you've got to get through 16 patients and, you know, you can't be floored by the first person that you see and then the next one and then the next one. But Mm. what Agnes says is actually it just builds up. Putting putting stuff to the bottom Mm. and squashing things never really works. So I was wondering what the book says you should do about that and and what, what should you do about your show face because these, I guess, are coping strategies that are partially working for us what's the alternative well i mean i think regarding the show face it's a, it's a case of basically realizing that the amount of energy that we put into our show faces mm-hmm. is just exhausting 
Um, and anybody that has struggled with any kind of mental health problem, be it depression or anxiety, or anybody that struggled with things like their sexuality where they haven't come out yet and they've to kind of pretend to people they've got this this kind of what would be described as maybe a heteronormal lifestyle or a life where they you know they're not gay or something like that and and all of those things are really exhausting and so it's a case of just realizing how much energy that can zap from you and then it's a case of kind of accepting that and realizing that the first step is to stop that show face and to speak to either your friends or if it's a really difficult thing to get some professional help to say actually I'm not okay and I need some help and that's quite liberating because I think so many people and I've got a very good friend who was struggling from depression and they even before I read this book they were saying to me how they feel like they're wearing a mask and they were saying how they would go to a party and all their friends would just say, this, this guy's the life and soul of the party and they'd come back and they'd just be absolutely exhausted mm-hmm. having entertained everybody for that mm-hmm. hour and I think that's really important for us to know as GPs that sometimes our smiling patients in front of us are going through hell and they can still be depressed even if they're smiling and that's that was a big learning point for me and it's something I didn't really know well I suppose I was aware of it but to see it actually in black and white is quite interesting to see you know to see these images that can give such a powerful emotion to it are really good and and you know going into part two it talks about you know, things that you can do to help one thing that's really powerful, and it's literally, there's several things in there, but it talks about it's perfectly okay not to feel okay. The trick is not getting stuck in that. Yeah. And then the other thing is to talk about is how our thoughts are so powerful. And there's a brilliant image in here where he's drawn somebody running out of a cinema um, at nighttime, popcorn going everywhere, um, absolutely terrified, and it says it came from within my brain, as what's been showing on at the cinema. Um, and it's talking about how powerful yeah. if we our thoughts are, in, in that you know we play these movies in our minds, and we often catastrophize them. They become intrusive and repetitive, and they can be so vivid, but they are only thought. And when you turn the page, it says thoughts are not facts. Yes. Um, take a moment to consider what this means, and then tattoo it on your brain. It says, which I just think is really, really powerful because I think we can sometimes get so caught up in catastrophizing and what happened if this happened and what happened. and it's just really liberating just to think actually yes of course that is really important yeah and it talks about all the basic stuff like you know you need to eat well you need to you know exercise is really important and we talked about that um ourselves and things like you know mindful running and even just you know just generally getting out there but our elderly patients or, or our less um, able patients might not if we talk about exercise they'll be thinking oh, i can't do that and so I was talking to some MSK, musculoskeletal specialists recently, and they were saying how they, they prescribe movement as mm. a to exercise. Okay. And just reframing it in that way is quite a useful way to, to do that. And obviously it talks about eating well and sleeping well, which we've talked on. So I think it's really interesting, this thoughts are not facts thing. And one of the mm. really powerful ways that I guess I teach to try and avoid stress is work out what the story in your head is. So mm-hmm. what's going on in my head and then what's actually true? Does, does the book give any suggestions to actually work out, you know, what's actually true, to tell the truth from the thoughts that are going on in your head? Well, it doesn't give you um, kind of exercises from that respect. I think it's more about, because obviously it's not a, a huge book, about flagging up these kind of, of starting point in many ways. And I think it's helping people to realise that once you realise that your thoughts are not facts, that it is liberating, but it doesn't actually then go on to say, this is what you should do about it as such. Um, but it is talking about how, is this is some other diagrams here, or drawings here about how you should 
facing your fears is quite a good thing to do rather than just sweeping them under the carpet like we were talking about if you challenge them and kind of accept that they are there um, and that they might be a bit frightening but that if you face them that actually they can sort of diminish but sometimes you might need to have a health professional to help you I think Liz O'Riordan was talking about some really helpful books that she's read and I can't remember which one it was it might have been called Calm the Fuck Down. I think it was that one by Sarah Knight. And that sort of goes through quite a useful way of actually interrogating your thoughts. You know, sort of, is this likely to happen? Yes. <laughs> and actually, what's the and impact if it happens? Yeah. And th- I think sometimes people talk about how, if you think about a bad thought, it's kind of, what do you fear will happen? But what do you hope for the best? Almost so you're kind of, you're challenging that you, just by that kind of puts it in the context that it, just because you're thinking it isn't, it's not necessarily going to come true. Um, and I think that's quite liberating. Really interesting. So are there any other really good tips or insights that this book has brought? Well, it's, I mean, it's really good for our patients in that it goes through the different bits and pieces about how to sort of lifestyle changes. So things like we were talking about earlier about the digital detox, about breathing, exercising. It's important to do the, the deep belly breathing and all that kind of thing. Sleep is really important mm. too. It's a really good thing for them to take away and have a read about. And it's about, you know, things like getting negativity out of your life. One thing I found really interesting was it really does advocate gardening. Oh, right. <laughs> avid gardeners, why are they so passionate about what they do? And it's really interesting because there's a beautiful diagram to go with it. And it's basically talking about getting outside, they get yeah. vitamin D from the sun, it's physical work. But there's planning and forecasting and, and working around the seasons. So they're very much mm. touched with nature. And then they get the fruits of their labour. You know, they're growing vegetables and stuff and they actually see it. So I can actually, I remember reading that, go, oh, something I should get into perhaps. <laughs> I think I've got, I think, in fact, I'm sure I've, I've actually, talking about my buying books for everything, I'm sure I've got a Grey and Vegetables planning book somewhere um, <laughs> that I've, I've yet to use. So that's probably from that yeah. book. That's, that makes sense now. All I must start gardening. I think the thing exactly. about gardening, I have never met anyone who gardens really regularly who is massively, massively stressed, which is quite interesting. Mm. I think it really, really helps. The problem is if you're yeah. not a gardener, you think you start thinking, I should, I should be gardening. And a friend of mine, yeah. I came across this phrase recently, she said, we do far too much masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> must do this, I must do that, I must do this. And it makes us feel yes. awful. Yes. Now, I would love to start gardening, but I'm absolutely mm. crap at it. And my, my gardening involves going to the local garden centre twice a year, buying a load of plants, forgetting to plant them, <laughs> and then being, yeah, exactly. being yelled at by my husband for the next 12 months about being rubbish in the garden. Whereas he quite likes it. So I think mm. it's about finding what you already like and you already love and doing more of that and making sure you do more of that. As I can say, that's exactly very interesting. That is actually said in the book as well. Oh, and okay. it says, we all had something as kids and we literally, you know, the hours would just disappear because we were completely focused on that. And often as adults, we stop doing that kind of thing. And it's, it talks about thinking back to what it was that it gave you that joy as a kid. So I have to get to dig out my Star Wars figures. <laughs> I think sometimes it's... Is that acceptable? Yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, maybe not. <laughs> I think for some of us, when we've, you know, come out the other side of having small children as well and family's so busy and, you know, my weekends are literally taken up being a taxi service for, mm. you know, I, I counted the other weekend, I'd made 12 different trips out just ferrying teenagers around. Mm. And sometimes you can't actually remember what it is that you enjoyed doing or what you mm. what it is that you enjoy doing now. So I've been trying out lots of 
things recently. I've been even taking ice skating lessons with my daughter. <laughs> there's, a, there's a new ice rink in Cambridge. So we said, right, OK, let's have a go. Although she's nine and she's mortified that I'm in the lesson with her. And the only reason, <laughs> the only way I'm allowed to do this lesson is if I stand at the other side of the ice rink and don't speak to her the entire lesson. <laughs> Wow, so are you not officially her mum? I'm not her mum. I said to her, well, I'll just pretend to be your sister, darling. (laughs) She, like, gave me the most withering look I have ever seen. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. So, does it actually come up in conversation who you are in this lesson? (laughs) No, luckily. (laughs) Not yet. Not not, not yet. So, she's on one side being all, you know, cool and sassy, and I'm on the other side falling over on my ass (laughs) quite a lot. But anyway, so quite enjoy ice skating. That's quite a laugh, but it's probably not entirely my thing. But I think it's just get out there and and do some stuff. I think one way you can decide what it is that you do is ask yourself the question, what is it that I stop doing first when I get too busy? Exactly. And I was thinking about that, actually, with this book, particularly as it talks about things like physical activity. And I probably said to you, you know, socially, that one of the first things that goes when I get stressed is going to the gym. And sometimes going to the gym is replaced by running. And when I was running for a half marathon, I more training I was obviously not going to the gym quite so much to the point whereby I got phoned up by the gym to say are you okay (laughs) mortifying but I was fair enough I was running it wasn't as if I was you know not doing anything yeah so that is the first thing and you know when I'm functioning really well I will go to the gym three times a week and that will either involve cardio or swimming. One of the times when it was working the best for me, particularly with workload, and I think we're all agreed that at the moment general practice is hideous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we're in this kind of boiling pot, aren't we? But we are not. You're not going to jump out. You're not exactly, going to jump not, out. No. There are things you can do. <laughs> exactly. You are not a frog. Um, exactly, I'm not a frog. Yeah, so well, actually I had a personal trainer for a bit. Mm hugely expensive and I kind of signed up for three months and um, which was the minimal time that you could sign up for but because you're paying for these sessions mm. and if you miss them then you, you lose that money you actually then prioritize going to them yeah. and come hell or high water you'll be out the door and it's actually really good to, to have something that is so important that you can't mm. miss it to actually have to get to and there's a bit of me that would love to have you know young kids and stuff to be able to run away from work and so I need to go and pick them up <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else listening going mm, yeah hold on to that yeah no, you have obviously never experienced being on call and having a deadline to pick up a child oh, from nursery well, ex- oh my exactly word. I, yeah and I completely take my hat off <laughs> completely and I, I you know I couldn't do that and and I you know I often come to work and think my goodness if I had had you know no night's sleep because I had unwell kids and then had to come to work I would be an absolute wreck at this point in time so anybody that's ever done that and juggles a young family I completely take my hat off but there is a little bit of me that would love to have something like that. You can't give them back, though, can you? That's the problem. You can't try it out. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you can borrow some if you'd like. <laughs> I'd borrow some. Maybe that's what I'll do. I've got a nine-year-old who likes ice skating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. So where were we going yeah. with that? I well, can't I'm, I'm not quite sure, but what has just struck... Oh, it was, it was about the gym and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so, yeah, so basically, for me, what really worked was having a personal trainer mm. and having to drop everything and go. So I need to find something, either that again or something similar yeah. where I literally have to drop everything in. gives you a deadline it's interesting my other half has a, a few years ago him and some mates realized that as men they weren't really very good at meeting up with mates they weren't really mm. very good at putting time in to do exercise because jobs were taking over they started a circuit training class near them mm. so they just hide a hall hide a personal trainer and that's been going for five or six years and it's and they all go 
do the circuits for an hour and then they'll go to the pub afterwards and it's been really good really good because they're not only getting some exercise but they're connecting with each other and exactly it's a social regularly stuff, isn't it? regularly really yeah. which i think is yeah. really important and it does strike me that at the moment gps are pretty time poor but possibly mm. not so cash poor so if you can sort of use like you said a personal train is expensive but the benefit you get from that is remarkable and maybe if you know that actually having dinner with another couple of friends or something is really important and usually you'd love to cook them dinner but you just can't go out for yeah. dinner or do yes. you know just spend a little bit of money on it my goodness mm. you're working hard enough so what can you yes. and i know not everybody has got disposable cash and a lot of people have got a lot of pressure on them financially but actually you know it's time that is the biggest sort of currency at the moment or the most precious thing time is the thing you absolutely can't get back isn't it yeah and i think that's something we should all remember and you know life is so short and so precious and you know when you know things happen and you lose people that are close to you when they shouldn't have gone so soon that's really tough mm. and we need to make sure that we don't have that kind of regret because you can't get that no. time back and you know we need to work out what is important to us and make some decisions which sometimes feel really tough and you know you worry or I certainly worry about how my decisions might impact on other people's workload mm. and bits and pieces but at the end of the day I think that brings it into perspective maybe what would they do in that kind of situation mm. if they were in your shoes what would they do mm. and I'm pretty sure they would you know think about themselves and, and make sure that they were okay and it's all about putting on your oxygen mask before helping other people isn't yeah. it you've got to be okay to be able to keep going and it's a marathon it's not a sprint we've got to be able to keep going yeah so, 100%, yeah. 100%. I think it's just worth pointing out as well that there is a lot of help available for people if they are feeling like they're getting to the end of mm. what they can cope with. The GP Health mm. Service is a really great place to start. As a GP, you can refer yourself. I think if you're a physician, there's the physician... Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the same thing, but you have to be referred by your GP, I think. Anyway, we'll, we'll, put, yes. links, we'll put links in the show notes. And they have mm -hmm. access to all sorts of things it's you know talking therapies and stuff and can get you to see consultants directly and all sorts of different things and, and just encourage people to take stock and get some help if they need to because no one else is going to do that for you you have to do exactly it and it's it, the first step is actually realizing there's an issue and then mm. talking to people and then if that isn't helpful then it's about getting the professional help which yeah. which either you know we all of us might need or you know friends might need it or you know people that you know that friends of friends and all that kind of stuff so. yeah and also I think you know helping each other out and I'm sort of advocating running you know getting some GP peer support going some peer support groups going in your area I think that's really important or just informally with a bunch of friends making sure you see them regularly can be really 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 important yeah, I mean, something just as straightforward as a, what would have been called a young practitioners group yeah. when we first started being GPs, and I don't know what we would change it to now, a medium <laughs> Old farts group. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people exactly. who were at university before mobile phones yeah. group. Yes, yes, exactly. So those points, it's just really important to, and again, those are the kind of things, if you get really busy, that, that tend to fall into the background, so it's important to, to keep up with those. Yeah, and something that, that struck me, James um, Thambiraja, who was on the podcast the last episode or a couple of episodes mm -hmm. before this one, he said that he started asking the question to his colleagues, not how are you doing, but the question is, are you okay today? 
That's a really powerful question. So it gets people actually to answer properly. And maybe that just gives your colleagues yeah. a chance to take off their show face and actually exactly. hit under the surface to what's really going on. Yeah. And it, I think it's really important. We talked about it before, about how powerful and important it is to have a friend at work talk to, because we spend so much time at work at the moment. And <laughs> I mean, I mean where, where I am, the cleaner knows me quite well. <laughs> 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 because I see her probably more than, than lots of my friends because she's in most evenings and we have a chat and bless her. Um, she often brings me a little snack. Because oh, <laughs> isn't that so sweet? Nice. It's so lovely. Yeah. You know, and it's just that little kind of kindness, little, little things. And also then showing appreciation for that mm. as well and saying thank you and, and stuff. It can make a rubbish day feel so much better, can't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So really important. So Nick, I think we need to wrap up our inaugural self-help book group uh-huh. episode so just remind us of the the book and who it's by so the book i've been talking about has been the little book of resilience how to bounce back from adversity and lead a fulfilling life and it's written and illustrated by matthew johnston and it's available from all good bookstops bookstops bookshops <laughs> a bookstop that'd be a good thing oh, wouldn't it yeah you just go in there and read but oh just i would fantastic i guess there are there are bookshops aren't there with cafes in which are a marvelous yeah. idea um, we've also been talking about the Headspace app, which, you know, yeah. available on all good app stores. And I happen to know, I spotted an email recently from our friends at mylocalmanager.com who are offering a reduced rate by them for the Headspace app. So that's just a bit of wow. intel. That's if great. you want it, it's definitely worth knowing. So that's check great. out mylocalmanager.com for that. Excellent. Nick, if people wanted to contact you, how could they get hold of you? So probably the best way is on Twitter. Um, I am at Nick Kendrew. So N-I-K-K-E-N-D-R-E-W. And yeah, so I'm around there. So follow me. I'll follow you back most likely. Brilliant. Or interact in any way that you prefer. It'd be, yeah. yeah, good fun. It's good fun on Twitter most of the time. Yes. <laughs> and, and if anyone has a particular book they would like to discuss on the Self-Help Book Group, they're very welcome to come on and be another guest. That would be great. Or just tweet us some details of books that they found particularly helpful. That would be really good. And hopefully we can bring you another episode soon. So that's great. So Excellent. thank you so much, Nick. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Thank you, and you, and um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fantastic. Great. Speak again soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>